Welcome to By the Campfire, a podcast in which I sit down around a virtual campfire to have a good conversation with a guest. No time limits, no prepared topics, just an old-fashioned conversation. So we're at PHP Banalux today, um, and I've got three people sitting here at the table with me. Uh, there's Kat. Hello. Hello. There's Boas. Hello. And Martijn. Hello. So why are you all here? Uh, let's start with Kat. Uh, I thought it would be a good idea to come see other people who do development, uh, especially with the same language. And that is, of PHP. course, PHP. Yes, okay. So, so why are you here, Boaz? Uh, I started working as a developer just one year ago, and uh, actually uh, it was like uh, Stefan, my boss, wanted to give a talk here, and, uh, but he, he bought a ticket as well. Oh, right. So um, then he got applied as a speaker and then he had a ticket left. So I got the chance to go here. And since I'm developing as a developer, it is a great chance to learn a lot here. Yes, you're going to have a lot of fun t today and tomorrow here at PHP Benelux, I'm sure. Yeah, I hope so. And it's actually my first like bigger conference, so I'm looking forward to it. Okay, that's cool. Martijn? Um, basically to learn what's going on in in the PHP world and in the web development world. Um, I'm trying to go every year to a conference so that I learn. Um, I work for a company that provides us the possibility to do that, so yeah. every chance I get, I try to get uh, to, to these kind of events. Okay, so promote the company that actually, because I like companies that give people opportunities like that. What company do you work for? I work for Enrise. It's um, a web development company in, located in Amersfoort in the Netherlands. And we are a self-steering company that uh, basically we try to ensure that we set up our own way of how we do business. And we decided together, we don't have a manager who decides it for us. Okay, now you've got my interest. A company without managers. Oh. How, how does that work? Well, basically, if you have no managers, then everyone is a manager. So oh, okay. Uh, so now you're a manager and not a developer. <laughs> Both at the same time. Okay. It's actually a, ni a very nice challenge. Um, you are committed to the work you do as a developer, but you also get to help decide which uh, projects you, we take on, how we take them on. Uh, you are involved with uh, things a company does, like invoicing, like hiring people, like uh, how are we going to do market? Where do, are we going to focus on? And we do hire people who help us with that because, well, we're developers, we're not finance people, we're not marketers, and we are definitely not salespeople. Uh, so uh, those people work in the company as well, and they have their own say the same way as we do. Hey, interesting. Um, so does that mean that um, uh, Basically, you can say, I don't like this project, let's not do this project. Yeah, but you get the question, okay, why? Okay. And uh, it's not like you can say, okay, I don't like it, you drop your mic and walk away. <laughs> okay. Uh, we need to find a solution for that. Yeah. And if you, uh, it, uh, and you are responsible to assist with that if you are able to. Right. Okay. Okay. How does that sound to you? Yeah, it sounds interesting. It's nothing that I know. So <laughs> obviously it works well for you. So that's great. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds good as well. There's 
very much like a kind of hybrid startup methodology um, for like a lot of companies with the small ones where they get a few developers together kind of start out that way and then they start kind of putting in like the more process so that they can continue doing the development while they get someone else to worry about the other bits and pieces but it seems like you've embraced both sides of everything and that just adds more to your strength oh yeah and the beauty is that if you are a company of uh, we are around 40 50 people it's not that we um, force everyone to be just as involved as you are you can if someone someone is like okay i really like hr i'm gonna do that finance i trust the other people to do that i'm not gonna focus on that for example we moved last year and something I really, really, really can do is help decorate a building. So I was like, okay, there are team, peop team people working on that. Uh, as long as I get my computer, I'm fine. You go. That's uh, delegation is uh, a key part of anything. Yeah. And, and of course, so that sounds like your uh, people have to be aware of their own qualities and also weaknesses, I guess. Yeah, and you're challenged to sometimes get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So uh, if you're like, okay, let me do HR, and after two years people can go to you like, you know, maybe you can go to a different zone. Uh, which one do you need an assistance with? Uh, and it's uh, voluntarily. You cannot just say, I don't want to. But uh, the, you can just say that. But um, you get challenged. Right. And, well, I have n no experience in company uh, Company making company decisions or working with finance for of a real company, and now I get chance to do that. Yeah, and that's that's great. That's interesting. But how does that work then? Because you've got uh, I know the company a bit. There's more teams, more than one team, right? Yeah. Uh, what if one team wants the company to go in one direction, and the other team actually wants the company to go in a completely different direction? We have a couple of systems uh, in place for that. Basically, we have a, a set of basic boundary rules. We try to keep as simple as possible, like you should work within the law. You should okay. not that's make a, that's a, a big one. <laughs> 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 um, you should not make a loss. You should not uh, not say, okay, I'm going to give everyone a Ferrari, and uh, well, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> that's the company. But um, th those basic rules are in place. We also have um, a, a, a counseling system. Uh, that means that we, if we want to make a decision that um, has an impact on the whole company, we have a special way of making a meeting for that where someone provides a proposal like, I want to go with blue skirts. And then people can ask questions, but why? And then they can say, okay, I want to react to that. I want to give... Um, uh, I want to say that I don't want to do this because I have objections. Those get uh, discussed, and then either the proposal goes through or not. Right. Have you ever been in a situation where you completely disagreed with the direction that the rest of the company goes into? Uh, not completely, no. There were some decisions that I was like, okay, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I would have seen. I would have done it differently. But I've learned to accept that, um, that if you, that if, uh, the, if, how do you call it? 
I've learned to accept that sometimes you cannot get everything you want exactly your right. way. Right. And as long as you have some, uh, if y- if they don't cross certain borders, then it's okay with me. Yeah, that's good. That's basically how um, life should work, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. There will be there will be things that you don't like, but yeah, shit happens, right? Absolutely. <laughs> So how how does it work in BitExpert? Because you work for BitExpert. Yes. Is is that also uh, a company like this? Or do you have more structures and a hierarchy, things like that? So it's a very flat hierarchy in okay. BitExpert as well. So, um, But uh, there are some changes going on right now as well. So uh, we recently introduced tribes inside our company, yeah. which is uh, like a concept from Spotify. But basically they are a lot of people so it's a smaller version of a tribe so to say in our can you explain what it is what is a tribe uh, a tribe is like uh, yeah a team of developers with a certain amount of knowledge and um, so we have project managers that will get in contact with the customers and do the financing parts and everything like that Um, but to decide which technology we want to use on a project or if we can do or manage the project that's actually decided by the tribe members which are developers and uh, yeah inside the each of the tribes we have uh, yeah some competence leads where yeah some people have special knowledge with java or with php so um, if another tribe needs the information they can exchange uh, this information, but uh, most of the project management and which person works on which project is decided in the tribe by the developers. So that's um, wow. yeah, pretty close to, to your company, I think. But still we have yeah uh, the difference between project managers and yeah, stuff like that. So how is it for, uh, because you're a, a relatively new developer, if I understood correctly. Yeah. How is it for a new developer to come into a company like that? Uh, uh, how how do you um, how do you figure out for yourself, you know, what what you can do and what you cannot do? It's great to have a lot of experienced developers as well in our company, and they like take me with them and uh, show me the the tricks and uh, yeah, help me to not make the mistakes that they did when they started. Right. So it's like a head start, so to say. Yeah. And so it, yeah. That's uh, the way that I developed the most, I think, because uh, I, I didn't uh, study anything with IT or something. Uh, I came from mechanical engineering. Okay. And yeah, after my bachelor degree, I started to search something and uh, somehow ended up with programming. But yeah, really worked out well for me until now. How, how do you get from mechanical engineering to programming? A good question, actually. <laughs> so uh, I worked for uh, a bigger company and was doing like automation stuff, a lot of Excel mostly. But uh, yeah, starting to get into macros and yeah, like the basics, basics of programming. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Even like uh, at least more fun than with uh, technical drawings or stuff like that. So. Um, I started to search for a company that would take me, uh, even without any background knowledge and uh, will to learn something new. And BitExpert gave me that chance. Yeah. So I'm really grateful that they did that. 
I hope I don't disappoint them. So. <laughs> well, you're still there, right? Yeah. So the, uh, you must be doing something good. Yeah, something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, Kat, um, you're a, let's say, more experienced developer. Um, possibly. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more willing to uh, admit that I make mistakes on a daily basis. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, so, so what is... Um, uh, what is something that you would tell a new developer what they should or should not do? Embrace your mistakes, because the only way that you can learn is by knowing where you've gone wrong. And that's what uh, Boas was saying, like their predecessors and their uh, kind of mentor kind of system was like, they're kind of helping you skip over those. But that shouldn't stop you or make you feel that you're failed if you make a mistake, because yeah. They made those mistakes. They learned a lesson, and they passing that on to you. Yes. But the next generation, you're going to be giving the mistakes that you made and the lessons that you learned. Yeah. So, learning from your own mistakes and willing to accept the help from others is a big thing. And that's something that I still struggle to do every day, and uh, but it's still something I try to. So will there ever be a generation of developers that won't make mistakes? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There'll just be different mistakes um, and new and interesting ways that things can go wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, because if there's one area in the world that changes like every day, it would be development, right? <laughs> so yeah. that means there's always new mistakes to be found. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you just have to, as long as you embrace that, then you can go on to do other things and you can change direction, learn uh, that. It's like um, bridges were built, but like many people would have fallen in the river before it got finished. So, like, and then they would have learned to kind of build better and uh, yeah. work better. And so it's, it's all a process. And, as long as you are aware of that and not afraid of it, then you can go on to anything. What's your biggest mistake? Uh, the, uh, what's the mistake that you learned the most from? Um, probably deleting the live database. Mm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, it's, luckily, it was only like my personal project and not actually anything else, but it I was tired, I, I wasn't paying, it wasn't giving myself enough time to kind of pay attention, etc. And I basically switched to the terminal and ran the command, done the thing, and then halfway through realized that it was on the wrong one. Um, yeah, so I then learned various things like, for example, uh, there's common tools like in operating system, there's one called MollyGuard. Uh, which is a thing that allows you to stop shutdown when you connect it through a terminal. Okay. Uh, so if you're shelled into a, a, a Linux server and you tell it to shut down, it will then ask you for the actual server's host name or the machine's host name, and you have to type that correct uh, before it will continue that. Um, it's called after MollyGuard, um, after the little plastic covers that go over the big big red switches really um, and that's called a molly guard because it was uh, devised by a gentleman who 
um, took his daughter to work and his daughter was called Molly. Molly, yeah. And she kept trying to reach up onto the console and reaching for the big shiny buttons. So he created like this little plastic cover that needed to be like lifted up and uh, before you could get to the button. And so that's where the term Molly Guard came from. Um, So all of those little plastic covers you get over it, you now know what they're called. Um, So the software is called the same thing because it's a safety uh, process that goes in front of it that stops you from like kind of doing something silly like shutting down a live production server. Um, But numerous people have deleted databases incorrectly or you just kind of issue the command and you not realize that you're connected to um, the live database server rather than to the development one because the your they look exactly the same because you want to have them mirrored and other stuff and uh, so yeah those are all the things that I kind of have done and yeah there was communication issues where I vented on Twitter about uh, uh, interaction with a work colleague not realizing that they'd followed me on Twitter <laughs> earlier in the day. And as such, they then came across to my desk and said, yeah, that's uh, not professional. But that was very early on in my uh, kind of career. So I, I kind of learned that sometimes you have to pick the right avenue with which to kind of output uh, your data. And that applied then, of course, to uh, the actual development, like logs and other bits and pieces. So. Um, sometimes you can take lessons from completely different sources and apply them to the development. Yeah. Martijn, have you ever made a big mistake that you learned from? Oh, every day. Um, I had one very similar where I would love that uh, they would have a molly guard on, uh, on the system. It was uh, in JobCube where they have a very good graphical interface, but they have two buttons right next to each other like um, remove selected uh, jobs and remove all jobs. Right. And Ooh. if you are at 1 p.m. at night and you press the wrong button, yeah, yeah, that's. We were very happy that they had backups. It <laughs> was uh, that was a moment that I don't forget soon. <laughs> so um, backups is an interesting thing. Did they actually work? Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> because there's there's so many times where you make a backup, but you never test restoring the backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once something goes wrong and you try to restore the backup and it doesn't work. Yeah, th- 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 we have not had that, but that's one of uh, fingers crossed. And uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you already made a mistake that you think oh, I learned so much from that? So luckily, we have a lot of like merge requests and reviews and so uh, big mistakes I tend to put into the code get reviewed out before they actually harm yeah that, that's someone good. yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, have you found any yourself like you've created your pull request created it then spotted your mis- own mistake um, before before one of your reviewers have yeah I think but mostly like minor issues. Still, that's good. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that has to do. So I, because I'm such a new developer, so I maybe don't realize <laughs> that uh, that's like gonna be causing some big problems or right. issues with the project. I I usually uh, that's usually how I work is uh, while I'm still developing, I already push it 
to uh, well, whatever Git hosting we use. Uh, my current customer uses GitHub. Uh, internally for my company, we use GitLab. I already create a pull request, merge request, and then review it myself, uh, because that's usually how I find you know, my mistakes. Just looking at that code, I'm like, how, what was I thinking trying to do it like this? Things like that. I, I find that as well. It's like looking at it through a, a, a different medium, like through the pull request, where it's formatted slightly differently to how I'm used to in development, and yeah. then can see sometimes like the error that I've made or the assumption that I've made, and it's like kind of then I can go in and actually fix it, as you say. It's like, but like without that pull request being created, like I can't, I wouldn't have seen it because yeah. I'm. It, the thing called like change blindness, where you you don't see the the small changes unless you make a big change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the the thing I found is that when you look at it in the form of a uh, a pull request, um, uh, you you usually take a step back. You're not in in the inside the code itself, but you're you're looking at the big picture of the change, and that's why when you see oh wait a minute, within this context of this you know bigger picture. Um, this is not right. Yep. This is wrong, and that's that's usually how it works. Um, to to complete the round, um, my m biggest mistake, the, the mistake I learned the most from, uh, I run my own company, and usually we do we do like uh, contracting, right? They hire one or more of us for for a couple of months uh, just to help out with something or to get a team started or a project started, stuff like that. Uh, but uh, once I thought I could help a customer uh, on a project basis, um, and I found out I'm not that good at project management. Um, so that was a, a big mistake, and I learned a lot from that. Uh, I'm not a project manager, apparently. I, I can talk to people, that's fine. I can develop, that's fine. But actually manage a project, that's not working for me uh, and it cost me quite a bit of money oh, no. <laughs> it was an interesting um, learning experience uh, but uh, now I know I shouldn't take on projects unless I have someone else as the project manager because that's not gonna work for me um, so Kat um, when you walked in here earlier this morning and um, I was coming up for a hug, right? And you mm -hmm. said, well, I, let me just get my bag off first because you, you bring a lot of games yes. to a conference. Why do you bring games to a conference? Because it allows for kind of interaction with people that you normally wouldn't communicate with. Like people can gel around a game and the rules are quite kind of can be easily explained and you can have fun and get to know people in a way that you wouldn't do in a normal kind of just general kind of standing around drinking coffee yeah um so um and also people can then come watch you play games and then they can go well that looks interesting can i come into the next one and you kind of go yeah that's no problem and some of the uh like some of the best memories I've had from conferences have been around playing board games uh, and uh, like playing gem games where the social interaction is is kind of the key point is yeah. uh, quite fun. I I fondly remember uh, one night at Whiskey Web. 
<laughs> when um, uh, what was the game we were playing? Uh, that would have been where I introduced uh, Cards Against Humanity. We were play Yeah, that was definitely the starting point of a period where everyone played Cards Against Humanity at conference. But we, I think, we also played Werewolves. Yeah, Werewolves of Cards Against Humanity. And that was uh, because there was a pretty big crowd, a lot of people joining the game. Yep. That was fun, a lot of fun. I'd be willing to run that again here. So um, it just depends on the group, really. Yeah. I don't think here at Pichu Benelux there is no official game night, right? Uh, I'm not aware of any. No, no. It doesn't, doesn't stop you from <laughs> playing, playing games, of course. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so what is? do you think the social... Uh, function of games is why a lot of conferences these days have game nights? Um, it can help because like a lot of um, a lot of the earlier conferences the socializing was like the free bar and yeah. of course there are people who don't drink there's people who like myself who can't drink because like I'm allergic to alcohol so right. I can't have any yeah um, and like there's only a certain limit that you can then socialize with those with anybody else within that particular crew before you start losing that cohesion and uh, the ability to interact properly um, and then Whereas, like, you can slow it down, you can have better interactions. Have the social aspects for it means that you can make connections a lot better, um, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, when you make a, when you play a game, you make very, very fond memories because of those easy connections. Yeah. I, uh, I went to a week camp and uh, we had a Dungeons and Dragons night and I never played Dungeons and Dragons before but there was also like you were working with four or five people you never met and you make jokes you laugh you tell uh, you you imagine things and then uh, you make fond memories you never forget I think my favorite bit is where you play a game and something like goes there and then that follows you around for like two or three years you kind of meet you kind of hear like at the back of another room like this particular key phrase and you turn around and you find it's that person you played the game with but you've not seen them for like three years because you've both been at different places etc but you both remember that so fondly that it's just that one small phrase like I'm Batman, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's it's those things that like it's non-invasive and people can join, they can stop, etc. And nobody's forced to. And but it's also like you can slowly let your guard down, which means that you can feel part of something. Yeah, and it's that part of something that. One of the reasons that I believe a lot of developers come to conferences, uh, especially community kind of driven ones, because of that kind of connection with other people. Because uh, if we all wanted to have just do the training and the learning, then we've got Udemy and, uh, and all yeah. of those sites that yeah. you can just go and learn from. Um, but yeah, it's it's the people that make the thing. Yeah. Yeah, the the D and D at Weekend is uh, starting to become legendary. It's like um, every year, something happens in D and D 
that for the rest of the event, people keep referring to that. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting effect to see how that affects like the whole event. Uh, uh, for some reason, um, we had a year where one of the characters, I think, he dropped his pants at yep. some point. Yep. Well, that that whole thing kept coming back. Um, uh, just for clarity, it was not the actual person that dropped their pants, but in-game. The character. The character dropped their pants. Um, and uh, last year, uh, at some point, I don't know how it happened, um, but the whole, you, you know, the, the YouTube video for Baby Shark? Baby Shark. Do, 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 do. Baby Shark. Somehow that's, that was introduced during the game, and since then, the the whole island, everyone on the island was singing that song all, all of a sudden. Um, so that's, that was interesting. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think, because you mentioned when you introduced Cards Against Humanity, we've had like, probably after you introduced that, we've had at least two years where uh, in about every conference there was, there was at least one group playing Cards Against Humanity at some point. Yeah. Um, so it, s these things keep coming back, right? People people start uh, enjoying themselves and yeah. Though that particular game has been now relegated off of my list. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people because um, uh, we do at weekend we do a game night as well, not just D and D but also other games. And at some point uh, we had one year where everyone was playing Cards Against Humanity, which is fun, um, but it's a specific type of game that isn't suited for everyone. Let's it's just say, say it like that. It's a race to the gutter, and yeah. Yeah. unfortunately, when you have to put in rules like you can't do an overheard on Twitter, no, uh, no retweeting things out of context, as soon as you start having to do that, then you start looking at it and going, actually, is this only fun because we're basically being horrible people? And I know Cards Against Humanity is said to be the game for horrible people. Yeah. But it's like, how long does that stay fun when you're... And like once you've heard like all of the rude jokes and all of the other bits, you kind of just go, well, this is now like boring. So yeah. I sold all of my Cards Against Humanity cards and the box and everything else that I got. Uh, I sold it on. I didn't really worry about the price, but somebody else wanted to buy it, so I sold it to them. And I've not really looked back because there's other similar games um, that kind of have a kind of similar kind of play style but without having to be like horrible right uh, yeah. my favorite one is snake oil um, where everybody takes on um, the role as a salesman and yes. you get two kind of items that you kind of have to combine into an uh, into uh, like this invention that you're trying to sell um, and one person who is the the person that you're making the sale to gets a character card and that could be like cheerleader or caveman or and so you have to sell to them as the caveman um, like the, the magical uh, like super whisk and you have to explain to them why they should buy this item and which one it is and it it's a lot more creative and uh, you can get a lot sillier but also, you don't have to be offensive. 
Yeah, exactly. We played that at the Dutch PHP conference, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Very silly as well. Uh, yes, yes. I, I for did sure. like your cheerleader portrayal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Do you know the game Dixit? Yes. Oh, yes. Which one? Dixit. Nope. Yeah. So that's like a little similar. So you have uh, different cards with paintings on them. Sometimes very obscure and yeah, abstract paintings. And um, yeah, everyone has five uh, cards on their hands. And uh, yeah, one person uh, is uh, yeah he he um, thinks of something that is connected to the card, but nothing too specific. And then everyone else has to think uh, which of his cards could possibly fit to his suggestion or yeah. story or music song or sound that he made. And then uh, afterwards, everyone is deciding which one was the original. And so if you fooled because your card was better than the original, or yeah, then you get points. And so, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I like that game a lot, uh, just like the, the snake oil game, because you have to be really creative. Yeah. It, you sh it shouldn't be too obvious, because otherwise everyone will guess it. Um, but it shouldn't be too obscure either. So it's, it, you have to really be creative. Yeah. And there's lots of different sets of cards. Uh, yes. So yeah, it stays fun for a long time. Uh, I, and it, the fun thing is, especially that one, I think Snake Oil is a bit harder for, for like uh, younger kids because you have to make some connections. Whereas in, for Dixit, uh, yeah. it's a lot easier to play with kids as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's uh, I play it a lot with my family. It's one of our favorite games. Yeah, um, it would work well at a conference. Hmm. <laughs> you introduce games like that in a job interview. Ooh, that's interesting. Yes, that could work. I guess. I think if you want to make a connection with the interviewee and also make it because. Getting developers is hard in the company. Yeah. And if you wanna, um, you wanna get an impression of them, and you wanna at the same time you want them to get a good impression of you that they wanna go for the next round that they, yeah. because they have so many offers somewhere else. Yeah. I think a game could work like that. Yes, I d I do think that would work. Just um, be, you have to be careful with which game because <laughs> some of them, like some of the thing with it being open and free and you're being more kind of open with it then some people um, may say something which out of context may be completely horrible but it makes perfect sense within the game mm -hmm. and so you have to distinguish between like is this something that they think of on a daily basis is this the kind of person they are or is it just them being in the game like for mm -hmm. example uh, like snake oil, there is um, like uh, Nazi soldier was one of the uh, kind of characters that you could play. Um, it's one that I generally remove from the game because it's too easy to kind of lampoon and uh, cause offence. But like, if that wasn't taken out um, because someone else was saying playing the game in the interview, etc., and they didn't weren't aware of it, then like somebody trying to make that sale or playing that thing through could give a completely different 
outlook to what that kind of person is than they would be within the development team and uh, and that's like a that's the risk that you take with it so it's it is a good idea but it also has to be measured with that kind of balance behind it yeah, yeah it's, it's like the Fisbus challenge you don't if they cannot solve it it's not like okay then you're not a programmer it's just that you know, you know certain things and certain things you don't yeah this is interesting you mentioned the Fisbus challenge yeah uh, do you do, because you, uh, at least within your company, everyone is basically involved in the hiring process, or yeah. at least the people that choose to be. Yeah. Uh, do you ask developers to do like a programming test uh, in your interview process? It depends. Okay. Um, it, it depends a bit of, for the context. Um, I like to use the Fisbus challenge. It's like a small programming uh, exercise where you um, which you can complete in like 15 minutes in pseudocode. But um, sometimes I use it if someone says, I'm really, really, really good. And I'm like, okay, I'm doubting it a little bit. Do you know this one? No, let's try it. And then see what happens. Right. And sometimes if you ask someone, well, do you know at which level you are? Are you junior or medium or senior? And then they say, well, I don't know for sure. And I'm doubting it a bit. I think I'm a junior. Then if you do the FISPUS, uh, you can measure that a bit more and you can also give someone actually a bit more confidence like okay um, you finished this, uh, this finish this with a solution and you have one thing you can improve well I think you're very good yeah and that's uh, that helps but it's not like if someone doesn't finish it that you say okay sorry uh, you can go right yeah yeah because that's the I have um, I don't like coding challenges. I'm, mm -hmm. let's say I'm, a, I'm an experienced developer, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would call myself a senior developer. Yeah. But I, every time I have to do FISBUS, I hate it. Yeah, but I think if, um, if I would do an interview with you and I wouldn't know you, uh, probably when we talk about code and stuff like that, we'll f find out soon enough that you are really what right. you say you are. Yeah, okay. And if so, I've met people who are really full of it, that they say, oh, you're working PHP. Well, I work in a language that compiles to PHP. I don't care which uh, language you tell, you work in. I can compile to everyone. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. Can we do this one? And then if someone doesn't even finish it, then you're like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Probably. Okay. So, so you do coding challenges mostly when you're just not sure. Uh, yeah, and when it feels right to do it, it's okay. not. Uh, it's not like okay, we do a job interview, Fisbus. It's <laughs> okay. like a job interview, and depending on the person, depending on the profile, depending on how the meeting goes, we'll see. Okay. Okay. How does that work for Bit Expert? Do you do code? Do you have to do a coding challenge or something? So for me, obviously not, because otherwise I yeah, would okay. not have a chance. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, as far as I know, there's no coding challenges. A lot goes for socializing at conferences, for example. We also have a unconf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been with there. With our yeah. uh, company, and uh, yeah, there we meet a lot of people. And as far as I can tell from being there once, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I tend to think that a lot of new workers come from socializing from Stefan or from Andreas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you, do you have experience with that coding challenges? Yeah, they they tend to be a staple within 
uh, most UK kind of development agencies, okay. they always want you to do something. Um, the last one uh, for the contract, uh, basically it was um, written on paper. So I had to do the code on paper. What? It, okay. It, it was to get out of the comfort zone, like because a lot of people will uh, rely on their tools, etc. Wasn't expected to complete the code or get a thing, but it was like to kind of see what decisions that you made when writing the code out and right. kind of what bits you kind of do. And because you're writing it out, you're kind of like you can't automatically kind of just rely on like PHP Storm reformatting it and importing the namespaces and stuff. So like you get to see their thought processes where they've crossed out something yeah. because they've like changed their mind over it. And so like when I was doing it, I thought this is horrible and horrific. And like after I'd got the contract and I spoke to the person who'd stipulated it needed to be on paper, like spoke through with them why they kind of explained it and I was just like that makes a lot of sense yeah. it, it's getting you as, as you said with the uh, outside of the comfort zone and like because we all get used to using our IDEs and our tool sets and like setting it up and we know our environment that well that we can produce something that a small thing in like an hour and be comfortable with that but when you're kind of taken out and you've not got those tools, like, how do you cope? Um, and since it was a, a large corporate environment that they were, uh, that it was going into, like, there was a lot of things that were basically just locked away behind the corporate no wall. Uh, something like a firewall, but instead of, like, checking to see if you can do something, they just say no. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting thing, and I I, um, I enjoyed it uh, more than I thought I would. Really? Yeah, the, when you first mentioned it was on paper, I was surprised. But now that you've explained it, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, Did they explain it beforehand? Uh, no, they, it, it's like you had the bit, and they go, okay, well. Uh, we need you to write it on paper because we don't have development machines around that we can uh, give you access to. <laughs> um, it is. It was for a large corporate environment with uh, a lot of uh, legal security, so they couldn't just like allow you access to all of, to the network or to code bases, etc. Um, and that included the corporate laptops because they were like pre-configured with everything else but even if I was given like a completely naked laptop that still wouldn't that still would have been just almost as uh, like the same as writing it on paper because in the end you're not got it configured in the way that you're used to etc you can't go hand spend all the time kind of doing those configuration because you're in the middle of like that interview process yeah. so it was a little bit of a shock but not too much because the recruiter that uh, put me forward had kind of said they do like to do this um, with some candidates um, but don't worry if you get it it's uh, it's not a big thing it's just something they like to do so you mentioned recruiters you you work uh, with recruiters sometimes or S sometimes um, they have a speciality in their job and um, they've get paid for putting me into a particular job so like 
um, and a lot of them get paid by like a percentage of how much they're going to uh, they get the company to agree to pay me so like it works out in my benefit and also it means that I can like leave them to deal with the the small details it's, it's like hiring a uh, uh, a financial advisor or uh, kind of having somebody else they they know what they're trying to do and as long as they're not misrepresenting the kind of developer or person that I am then grand uh, like but sometimes you do get like the feeling that they're just they're not quite there and so like there's a there's been a couple of instances where I've just like gone no I'm not having you represent me I, I don't feel comfortable with you and then somebody else come from the same company will uh, maybe better right. but maybe another company who's also looking at the same job because there are many recruiters who are trying to put people in the same companies etc um, but yeah recruiters are not always evil but they a lot are financially driven yep. yeah yeah I guess um, but that means uh, you you select a recruiter that you feel is good it depends a lot of the time the recruiters are coming to me to say we've got this excellent job we think that you're going to be ideal for and then you listen to the pitch and then you realize that they've not read your CV or your resume they've not checked any of your history that they don't know the difference between Java and JavaScript and yep. they think that like because you uh, know a little bit of JavaScript that you can go write the latest Java application right. um, and like, like you kind of have to kind of have a discussion with them to try and see like where their thought process is, is because the only way that they can learn and is by someone pointing out that these two things are not the same because they're in their particular line of work which kind of covers like requirements like for putting people into positions but they don't have to understand the intricacies always of those um, because that's the HR department and the people doing the interviews kind of role it's like they they kind of have to do like a an 85% match and then like see if you feel comfortable getting to this place or doing this thing and then uh, it kind of works over after that but yeah Okay. Uh, do you have experience with recruiters, uh, Martijn? Uh, both ways. Uh, I had a very good recruiter who got me into uh, my previous job. It was really a guy who called me up and was like, okay, we're going to go look at your CV, uh, see what your experiences are, and um, tweak it a bit so that it looks better. Right. Uh, also saying where you are experienced, where you're not. I also had people who uh, just said, yeah, you can go there and say that you're experienced with this. I have never worked with that. It just say you're interested. <laughs> yeah, no, not going to do that. The most horrible thing I've seen is that um, a colleague of mine uh, in my previous job as well, was uh, he was going to leave. He got in contact with a recruiter, told he was working for a company he was very unhappy with, told him the company, he said, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, can you help me? Yep. And that guy was going, uh, going, and um, offered him to uh, the same guy uh, where he's working for. Wow. That was uh, a very fun 
morning in the office that, uh, like, uh, dude, can you come in my office? I heard you wanted to leave. Uh, they offered me uh, to get you. What do you want to say about that? Wow. It's really, really not good. No, no, I can imagine. Um, I've, sh I've seen similar things happen, but also um, one of my previous colleagues, uh, he got into his position through a recruiter. And recruiters have like, uh, some recruiters have like a system where they get uh, some uh, paid a certain amount when, when you start with a company and then after six months they get another bonus because you, you stayed for six months. Mm -hmm. uh, and like the day he was there for six months, the recruiter called him again, are you looking for something else? Because he knew that now he had his six month bonus, he could try and get that person into another job again. Um, and that was the point where uh, my colleague said, please don't call me again, ever. Yeah. Um, but then also I've worked with one specific recruiter. Uh, unfortunately, because he was doing his job so well, he, he got moved within that same recruitment company to another market that was struggling a bit. Um, but he really understood and he took his time to get to know you, uh, to get to know, you know what you were looking for. Uh, so there are actually a lot of good recruiters as well. It's just very hard to find them through through all of those, you know, bad recruiters out there. Yeah. I'd um, say in a uh, in a few years they'll be saying the same thing about developers. Oh, oh I already <laughs> say that right now. Yeah, I yep. mean, there's. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> but uh, luckily, uh, usually it's not that hard to figure out who is a good developer and who's not and sometimes you will make a mistake but that's fine as well uh, part of life yeah exactly it's part of life uh, we, we've spoken about it before sometimes you have to make a mistake and you learn from it yep. you're still relatively new in the game yeah do you also get calls and emails from recruiters already no not at all that's <laughs> good <laughs> keep it that way so yeah uh, six haven't months. heard heard about uh, recruiters until yet, so. Okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you for your insights. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, uh, recruiters are not by definition a bad thing, but the way that a lot of the recruiters work is, um, well, sometimes actually offensive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, but I hope for now, I mean, you're fine. I know Stefan a bit. Uh, he's a cool guy, you're fine there for now, so yeah. uh, no need for a recruiter, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Really happy right now for, with the company and uh, like, for example, having this learn and grow opportunities sponsored or yeah, supported by the company. Yeah. So that's really great for us developers to develop uh, in our abilities and our personality. Yeah. Meet a lot of new great people like you and uh, yeah. Well, it's good to have you here. Thank you. So, uh, in uh, in the in the period that you've been working uh, uh, at BitExpert, what's the most fun thing that you've done there? Like developing thing, or I don't, I don't <laughs> care. Uh, anything you know in the I mean, a job is a job, but you if if you have a fun job, a job is much more than that. Uh, so, so what's the most fun about a bit expert as a company. Yeah, I think 
one of the most fun things about Bidixpert is actually the unconf that right. appears to happen yeah. uh, every year now. Um, because yeah, it's a really great event. There's a lot of great speakers, a lot of great talks. There, um, yeah, a lot of experience bundled in one place where you can learn a lot. And uh, also, like this year, uh, last year actually, we had uh, uh, esports zone where we could play some esports games like Smash Bros. Or also having. Um, uh, I don't know how it's called in English, kicker, where you were like having this. Ah, it's a football table. Yeah. yeah. Table football, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also having this around in the company so that it's easy um, for you as a new guy to get uh, into the social yeah. in, inside of the company. Yeah. And so you're not a, the newbie and the outsider for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. I so think that's. There is a foosball table here. Um, oh, I see, yeah. Which is a great way of getting to know people. Yes. But be aware that one of the people, the wearing Pishpi Benelux uh, coat, he is a former professional foosball player. Okay. Uh, there was, I think it was last year or the year before, that uh, at some point during the night I, I got to the table, started playing, and, and he came up and he's like, uh, mind if I join you? No, 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 that's fine. Come and join us. Now, it was like he was scoring goal after goal after goal and uh, yeah that was crazy the guy is so good i have to get some tips from him so yeah yeah, yeah for sure if you want to develop yeah. as a person <laughs> just don't beat the boss okay yeah. okay <laughs> or at least don't beat them badly yeah yeah exactly um so what's the most fun that you've had in in jobs It's been a lot, um, but it's mostly like the chance to interact with other people and learn. I find my enjoyment through learning um, and like trying things outside of that. So, like uh, within work, like there's been a few chances for that. Um, I helped produce one of the very first uh, Xbox Smart Glass apps uh, for a video game. Uh, and that kind of took me outside of my comfort zone and uh, learned a lot and kind of it, uh, it was working and put into production. Um, I would love to mention its name, but I'm still like forbidden from doing so, ah, um, yeah. at least in, in a recording. So Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, the, uh, that, that was interesting that I was able to, one, get access to a technology that was just about to be released because it was we were working on it before it actually got to uh, live so that the smart glass technology wasn't available at that point right um, so kind of working on it behind the scenes learning it um, the only downside was that it was for an interactive video uh, kind of system so um, the uh, office got really annoyed with the uh, interactive characters on screen, and so we had to like, uh, like, have that move to a different room uh, because it just got so annoying for yeah. them to hear the same characters say the same phrases over and over again. Okay, okay. So, Martin, the most fun thing you did oh, at the work? Enroy's Christmas party. Oh yeah, that's so fun. That's uh, the highlight of every year for me. So that's that's legendary stuff now. Uh, I don't know about that. It's for me. 
like at that moment we are a family company everyone huddles up everyone does fun stuff together we are relaxing we're making jokes we're eating drinking playing a board game or staying outside there's one guy who really likes morph suits so he gets dressed up in a morph suit and is serving drinks like it's normal and then yeah. at the, it's so fun it's uh, yeah that's for me the best thing of the of the company interesting the uh, i i've I've worked for Enrise uh, a couple of times as, as, as an external developer. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I noticed with Enrise is that um, aside from being a company, uh, you know, uh, people doing their work, uh, it's basically a group of friends. Yeah. Uh, which is something that definitely inspired me. I mean, I'm trying to do a similar thing with, with my company where I really want to, you know, get people together not just for work uh, but also to do fun stuff right yeah absolutely and that's definitely something I've I've found with Enrise is um, even if even though I haven't uh, actually done work for Enrise for three years now or something um, I still you know I get a Christmas present from them and uh, when I bump into people from Enrise, we always make a chat and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun group of people. That's what we aspire to be. Well, it's working. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you're also inspiring to be, as well as aspiring to be. <laughs> right, that would be great. If, yes. if we can do that, that would be really great. It, it, from what uh, Stefan was saying, it sounds like you, you have inspired uh, some positive changes in the way that he wants to deal with uh, certain things and oh, yeah. run things, etc. Yeah. So, like, it seems like Enrise has had that inspiration for other externals as well as uh, as well as continuing to aspire to do better themselves, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I didn't see it like that. Thank you. It's great. So we're at PHP Benelux. Yep. Um, what are you looking forward to most here at PHP Analytics? Yeah, of course, to meet a lot of people and uh, get to get some context when you're stuck with some particular problem. So you always have something or somebody to ask. And yeah, um, yeah to know that you are probably not the first one uh, facing this problem. And uh, yeah. I guess that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, there's a lot of people around that have made mistakes already. Yeah, that you can <laughs> learn from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there one specific talk that you really look forward to that you want to see? Uh, yes, I've marked it. <laughs> I have to look. Yeah. Maybe someone else can uh, go ahead first. Uh, so, Kat, uh, what are you looking forward to most here at PHP Benelux? Uh, playing board games and interacting uh, with course. people. Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there one specific talk that you really want to see? Uh, I kind of try and leave looking at the schedule until right at the last moment because, um, one, there's p potential for schedule changes, uh, people might having problems traveling, etc. so the schedule might change. Um, also, like if I start looking at the talks too soon I start looking at the the detail of what they're trying to talk about and then I kind of get an idea of 
certain things in my head rather than going in to listen to their perspective because right. that's as I said previously like if I wanted to just learn something then I could do it through various different ways and one of the reasons that you come to see a talk is you hear a person's perspective on it and how they did certain things and yeah. learning from the mistakes that they've made and you can't get that that so I try to kind of safeguard myself from my own foibles of uh, like trying to learn more than that so I kind of will try and go in as blind as possible yeah okay okay that makes sense so you found the schedule yeah so yeah actually one of the talks I'm really interested in is from Stefan Hofdorfer oh right so how good are my tests <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is also about tests uh, when you got lost in API testing um, because in the last project uh, I was working with um, we did a lot of testing and was like the first time that I understood the importance and uh, the benefits of it. Also, uh, avoiding um, pushing a lot of mistakes. Yeah. So um, yeah, I really want to improve my testing skills, and so I'm looking forward to those two talks. Nice, nice. Martijn, what are you looking forward to most? Uh, surprises like this that were in the podcast. But that that's one. Uh, and. Uh, Talks. I'm also interested in the one of Stefan and uh, actually the keynote from Carl Evans. I'm ah, of uh, course. Yeah. I've never seen something from him, so I'm very curious. Oh, okay. You're in for a treat then. Oh yeah. He is a very, very good speaker. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be fun for you. Okay. Um, thank you very much, all, for being on this podcast. Um, I hope you have a, a wonderful conference. And I will meet you at some point somewhere. Thank you for listening to By the Campfire. For more information about the podcast or finding other episodes, check bythecampfire.net.